We'll open up your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We'll continue in our series in the life and theology of the Apostle Paul. Uh, next Sunday, uh, Nathan Titus will be preaching. Um, I believe he'll be preaching on Paul's theology of union with Christ. Um, he may not be, but I, I think that's what we discussed. Um, and then we'll return. I'll return the following week preaching on, you'll see, the glorification of the believer. But this morning we're looking at the theology of sanctification, and it'll be verses 1 to 3a. Hear now the word of the Lord. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Father, we ask that now as we hear your will for us, that you would send your spirit, that we would grasp the teaching that is found here in your word, in Christ's name, amen. Well, as I look back over 30 or so years of ministry, and particularly is that when I, before I became a senior pastor and I was working with teenagers, probably the question that I was asked the most, and this even occurred far after being a youth pastor, but mainly then, is how do I know God's will for my life? Particularly, uh, how do I discover God's will for my career? Or how do I know God's will if I should marry this person or that person? It seems that more anxiety is spent for Christians on those two questions than any other, and they're very important questions. We, we want to have the right career. We want to make sure that we have the right uh, spouse. And so we ask those questions. And so in one sense, I can see why they're the most asked questions, because the decisions are important. You wouldn't want to take a job or a spouse that God did not lead you to. But here's the issue with that question, and here's how I usually responded. God has not revealed his will in those matters. Scripture tells us that the secret things belong to the Lord thy God, and the revealed things belong to us and our children forever. There's really no specific passage that you can turn to that says, thou shalt marry a blonde. (laughs) Um, He told me that, but he he didn't... (laughs) that you should be a plumber. There's no passages. You should be uh, marry a Christian. Yes, there are parameters. You should probably take a job that doesn't involve stealing. That would be biblical. But the specifics aren't there. And so we know that the secret will of God, and there is a secret will of God, that is something he has not chosen to tell us. And then there is the revealed will of God, And he has chosen to tell us that, and we're called to follow him in that revealed will. And so as believers, our greatest concern must be to learn his revealed will and obey it. And that leads to our text this morning. Paul answers the question, what is God's will for your life? I am able to tell you God's will for your life. Here it is. It's right here in our passage. This is God's will for everyone here, the will of God, your sanctification. 
God's will for your life is your sanctification. That's His will for your life. Everything else is important. We need to pray about those things. We need to consider those things. We need to get counsel on those things when it comes to jobs and and spouses and relationships and a, a whole plethora of other things. But the will of God for your life that is revealed here is your sanctification. And so what I want to do this morning is, is, is preach on this issue of sanctification. This is going to be a Bible study of sorts. And you'll see that as we get into detail. And particularly as we begin, because how I'd like to begin is to put sanctification in the proper context as it relates to the process of salvation that's found in Scripture. See, as we've studied the theology of the Apostle Paul, we've looked in detail at several doctrines as it's related to salvation. We've talked about election, and we've talked about regeneration or being born again. We've talked about union with Christ. We've dealt with justification. Last week, we we spoke of adoption, and this week, we're going to talk about sanctification, See, normally when we talk about salvation, and there's nothing wrong with this, we ask somebody, have you been saved? And there's nothing wrong with that question. Um, We usually, when we think of salvation, we think of the time when we were forgiven, when we believed the gospel. But biblically speaking, that word salvation has broader meaning, or a broader scope, I should say, in the Scripture. See, Scripture defines several aspects of our theology of salvation. It actually begins in eternity past with election, where God and the eternal counsel of the triune God chose those who would be saved. And, and, and then it ends in eternity uh, a future with glorification, that we would be glorified. And in between, there are several aspects of this salvation. As I said, we've looked at some of them. We, we've talked about election, and we were elected in eternity past, and, and then there's regeneration. What does that mean? It's what I've said. It, it, it's being born again. At some point in time, God changed our heart of stone and gave us a heart of flesh. He, he unstopped our ears. He took away the blinders from our eyes, and we saw the truth. It was, it was we were regenerated. And see, once that happens, we recognize our sinfulness, and we repent of our sin, and we exercise the gift, and it is a gift, the gift of faith that God has given us, and we believe the gospel message. What's the gospel message? Christ died for our sins, and he rose again for our justification. And so the result of that is justification. We're declared righteous before God. Uh, We're clothed in Christ's righteousness. We are forgiven before the judge. And last week, we looked at adoption. He didn't just legally forgive us as a judge. He adopted us into his family. We are his children. And all those doctrines um, flow out of our union with Christ, uh, that we're united to Christ. One writer said, union with Christ is like the pavement upon which the steps of salvation are built. 
And so that's basically the order of salvation. The Apostle Paul has an order of salvation. It's in Romans 8. For those he foreknew, he predestined, and those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he justified, and those he justified, he glorified. That's Paul's logical. They're the things he includes. I mean, he includes much more. He includes the things we were discussing. But there in that passage, he lays out for us this logical order from predestination all the way to glorification. Well, there's another step in this process of salvation that we find in Scripture, and it's placed between adoption and glorification. And that doctrine is... You figured it out. It's in the title. Your sanctification, election, regeneration, justification, and out of those things, out of the fact that God in eternity past elected us and that in time he, he gave us a new heart, he regenerated us, and then he declared us righteous, out of that flows adoption, out of that flows sanctification and the promise of glorification, which we'll look at in a couple weeks. Now, as I, uh, the reason why I walked through the order of salvation, because there's really nothing more important in understanding your salvation than getting that right uh, as you walk as a Christian. Each aspect of your redemption uh, fits this whole larger picture of God's plan for your salvation. And if you mix up the order, it kind of changes everything. See, if you change the order of any of these doctrines, but particularly for our purposes this morning, if you, if you were to change the order of justification and sanctification, what happens is that's the difference between a salvation that you have earned and a salvation that Christ has accomplished. It's the difference between works and grace. It's the difference in between you meriting your righteousness, that you earn righteousness, and you being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. It's the difference, really, between being Catholic, Roman Catholic, and being Protestant. See, it's just at that very point that the difference between the Reformed view our understanding of salvation, and the Roman Catholic view of salvation, it it, it reveals itself. Let me explain. And and see, this is vitally important. This is why I said this is kind of a Bible study of sorts. Uh, I'm not going to take questions, but you you get the um, gist of it. The Roman Catholic Church teaches, now you've heard this at all, they, they believe salvation by works. Well, yes, but did you know that they believe that a person is saved, justified, that's what I mean by saved there, justified, declared righteous, by grace, through faith, because of Christ. And you say, wait a minute, that's what we believe. What they don't believe is that a person is justified by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. They teach that God, because of what Christ did on the cross, gives you grace and gives you faith, then you, as the individual, through the sacraments and good works, you grow in righteousness. It's your righteousness because you're growing in it and you do it. It's not, it's not an alien righteousness, as the reformer said, outside of yourself. Jesus' righteousness given to you. It's your righteousness. And at some point, the goal 
is that you would work hard enough and you would accomplish enough righteousness that you'd be worthy of justification. If you follow the Lord and you love him and you worship him and you pray and you fast and you love your neighbor, I mean, you're going to have to go more than Christmas and Easter, right? You're you're, you're, going to have to practice self-sacrifice. You're going to have to practice penance. You're going to have to obey the commands. You're going to confess the major doctrines of the church. And eventually, eventually you'll probably do enough. No, actually you won't do enough. And you won't be justified. And therefore, that's why they have the doctrine of purgatory. Because I didn't do enough in this world. I mean, the Mother Teresa's of the world, and I'm not discussing if she was saved or not. That's not the issue. But the Mother Teresa's of the world got really close, and she only spent a few years in purgatory. And the rest of us, you know, the the Christmas and Easter Catholics, the ones that grew up going to church because we were told to. I, I grew up Catholic. Um, you know, the rest of us, well, we're going to be in, the, in purgatory for a while. And so the Roman Catholic Church does not teach that you're declared righteous because of Christ and therefore justified. In fact, they say that's anathema. Anybody believes that is condemned. Rather, what they teach is you become righteous yourself And hopefully you're justified, and as I said, if not, you have purgatory to help you out. Basically, they are saying God's grace and your sanctification, your growth, will justify you. And so they change the order. It's sanctification comes before justification. And so the result is a salvation you earn, a salvation you receive part of the credit for. It may be a small part, but you have to receive some credit because without it, you couldn't have been justified. And so, you re, uh, God doesn't receive all the glory. And see, that's not biblical, and that's why the Reformation took place. The Bible teaches otherwise. Scripture teaches that salvation, and we're talking about justification, uh, regeneration, those things, by, is by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of what Christ accomplished alone. We're justified by faith alone. We receive it. We don't earn it. And we don't believe in order to be born again. We're born again. We're regenerated. And because God changed our minds and changed our hearts, we believe. Now, that'll bring up the debate of so many people. Well, why doesn't he do that for everybody? I'm not God. I can't answer that. And and right now, that's not the purpose of this. But we need to understand that the only people that believe are the ones that are regenerated. The only people that believe are the ones who, who God has worked in their hearts first. They're the ones that are justified. And so justification and sanctification must be kept distinct and in their proper order. They should never be separated. We're going to see that in a moment, but they must always be distinguished. Let's consider some of the differences between the two. First, justification, being declared righteous, is an act of God and what He's declaring true of us. It's a legal transaction. It's an act of God. He's declaring. He's saying something about us. In sanctification, it's a work of God within us. 
And so he's making us more and more holy. In justification, he's declaring us forgiven or holy. In sanctification, he's making us more holy. Justification happens once and it's forever. You're not continually justified. Sanctification is a continual process where you grow until the day you're made perfect. And so sanctification is continuous. As I said, justification, that is, has to do with your legal standing before God. He's the judge, and he's declared you forgiven. It has to do with your legal standing. Sanctification has to do with your internal condition. The one is objective, justification. He's declared it. The other is subjective, partially at least. Justification is entirely God's work. We are passive. We just open arms, we receive it by faith, the gift of faith. He gives us that. In sanctification, we cooperate with God. Or at least we should say we are active, and we'll see what that means, cooperate with God. Justification is complete in this life. You are justified. You will always be justified. You won't grow in your justification. You are justified. Sanctification is never complete in this life, and you'll continually grow. No Christian is more or less justified. The worst Christian, whoever that is, and the best Christian, whoever that is, are simultaneously the same justified, period. But they're not the same sanctified. Some people are mature than other Christians. And so justification and sanctification have many distinctions and differences. However, they can't be separated. Now, what do I mean? Well, both come from God's grace. It's all from God's grace. Both flow out of our union with Christ. Both are found in the same person. The person who justified us, God, Jesus, is also the one who sanctifies us. Both begin at the same time. The moment you were justified, you also began being sanctified. You may not have noticed it, but that's when it began, this process of internal change. And both are necessary for salvation for complete salvation. One writer said, whoever thinks that Jesus Christ only lived and died and rose again in order to provide justification for his people has much to learn. Whether he knows it or not, he is dishonoring our blessed Lord and making him only half a savior. Jesus didn't just come to justify us. He wasn't just fire insurance to get us out of hell and into heaven. He came to sanctify us as well. He's not only our righteousness, he's not only our redemption, he is our sanctification. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, you are in Christ Jesus, you're united to Jesus, who became for us, on our behalf, for us, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He is our redemption. He's our wisdom. He's our sanct. He's our all in all. And so we can only boast in him. That's what Paul's saying. And so just as Jesus justified us, he sanctified us. And so I hope you see the logic. If you didn't follow all that, that's understandable. It's a a lot of information. But you see the logic the Bible has when relating justification and sanctification. Anyone who is justified will produce good works. You will 
produce good works. Not perfectly, but you will do it. But those works that you do, the good things you do, are because you are justified. They don't make you justified. They won't make you or cause your justification. Well, I'm going to keep working hard, and then hopefully I'll be justified. If you believe that, that you're declared righteous before God, that you're forgiven before God because you now are working hard, you're a Roman Catholic. That's what they believe. And so, sanctification is the fruit of being united to Christ. It's the fruit of being regenerated. It's the fruit of being justified. It's the fruit of, it's what flows out of those things. It doesn't make you a child of God. It, it shows forth that you are a child of God. It doesn't make you earn your adoption. It's because you're adopted, you're doing, you're bearing fruit. And so in having been justified and adopted into God's family, you're now to pursue sanctification. And so what is sanctification? Uh, in our passage, the, the, the word literally means the process that leads to holiness. That's one way. There's a lot of definitions. It's the process of being conformed to God's character, uh, to be conformed to the image of Christ. In a nutshell, this is what your whole Christian life is about, really. Growing in holiness, being more like Jesus. The Apostle Paul says in Romans, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Why? For what purpose did he do that? To be conformed to the image of his Son. God predestined you. If you're a believer here, if, you, if you've accepted Christ, if you believe in the gospel, if you've been justified, he did these things before the foundation of the world so that you would be conformed into the image of Christ. So the question is, well, how? How? What, what part do we play? How are we sanctified? What's God do? What do I do? And that's what I'm going to spend the remainder of our time here looking at. Now, based on what I've said, you should understand that both God and we have a role. We both play a role. In justification, we're passive in the sense that we only receive it by faith. Uh, but here, we have an active part to play for our sanctification. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, this is what Paul says. My beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in, as in my presence, but much more in my absence... Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Sanctification, your growth, is accomplished by you working out of your life what God has worked into your life. Sanctification is basically knowing who you are in Jesus the work God has done in your heart through regeneration, justification, and redemption. We could go on the work of the Spirit, as we'll see in a moment. And, and taking that and putting into practice, working out what he's accomplished. Now, when it comes to your role in God's role, it's not like it's 50-50. God says, here, I'm going to give you a, a push. Now, you take over. And then I, I realize mentally it's hard to grasp. It's all of God... He does all the work, and yet we have a role. It's not equal. Uh, let's begin with God's role. 
It's primary. Obviously, he's God. This is why Paul says in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, may the God of peace sanctify you wholly. It's the triune God who sanctifies you. The Father's role began by sending Christ into the world for our salvation and sanctification. And then also to be our example. He accomplished those things, but he also sets the example for us on how we are to live. That is where it began. But that being said, Scripture is clear that it is specifically God, the Holy Spirit. As I mentioned, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who's working sanctification in you. Sanctification is really by the Spirit. This is what we read. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved of the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved sanctification, through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. And so it is the Holy Spirit who produces in us the fruit of the Spirit. That's Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And as we grow in sanctification, we're told in Galatians 5, again, that we begin to walk by the Spirit. And in Romans 8, that we are led by the Spirit. And so as the Spirit works in us, what happens is we become more sensitive to the Spirit's desires as they're found in the Word of God and, and leading us. I'm not talking here that you, sit, you get up in the morning and, and you say, all right, I'm going to talk to the Spirit, and He's going to verbally tell you what you're supposed to do and not do. It's the Spirit works through the Word in you. And as he works in you, you become more sensitive to his leading. And where is that leading found? In the scriptures. But it, it's still a work of the spirit in your life. I, as I grew in faith, I, I can remember um, getting saved and my life changed a lot. I mentioned that to you. But I remember being saved for maybe a week, two weeks, three weeks and saying, man, my old friends curse a lot. Forgetting that I, we talked just like that weeks ago. But something changed. I mean, I, I guess just proper decorum told me I shouldn't talk like that anymore in the circles I was now in. You know, I wasn't going to go to Christie's house and start talking like that. But, but it just changed. I was sensitive to it. I, 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 no one said, thou shalt not use that word or that word. I was just sensitive to it. It was like these heightened senses to the fact that my friends were using this word, and I never remember them using it that much, but obviously they were. But I was aware of it now. And, and so I, I realized I had to change the spirit. How did I? I wouldn't have been able to say, I think the Holy Spirit is working in me now. I just, it, I look back now and I say, the spirit was at work in my heart changing me. And so as we walk with the Spirit, we are led by Him to grow in holiness. Now, here's the exciting one. This is how you grow in holiness through discipline. We all love this one. Hebrews 12 says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves, and He chastises every son whom He receives. God is treating you as sons. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It, it yields the peaceful fruit 
of righteousness, the, this fruit that through the discipline of the Lord. And so you see, the triune God saved us, that is, he regenerated us and he justified us, but he didn't just leave it to ourselves to grow and now kind of get through this world trying to be more like Jesus. From the very beginning, every step of the way, understand that the Spirit is leading you, he's, he's prompting you, he's discipling you. And he wants to accomplish his will as it's found in this scripture for you to grow in holiness every step of the way the Spirit is with you. Now, God has the primary role. That's God's role. But you have a role to play also. And you have a passive role in which you depend upon God to sanctify you and an active role in which you strive to obey and take steps to increase your holiness. Paul commands you to yield to God as men, we're told in Romans 9, who have been brought from death to life, Romans 6 that is, and to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, uh, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's Romans 12. We're to do those things. That, uh, we're to just present ourselves to God. That is a passive role, you could say. We call on God to work in us by His Spirit. And we do that regularly. We, you recognize that you're unable to sanctify yourself. You, you just won't be able to do it. You need his strength. And so you ask the Spirit, work in me. When's the last time you've asked the Spirit, work in me today? Holy Spirit, work through me. And you yield to him. Now, let me say something, though. This isn't let go and let God. Have you heard that saying? We've all heard it. And, and, and I know that most times when it's mentioned, it's, it's meant well. Meaning we got to let God work in our hearts. But we got to be careful. It, it, it's sometimes presented as uh, I just sit back and just let God go to work. I mean, I'd give up getting drunk and going to this bar, but the spirit, I'm letting go and letting God. And if he gets me out of this, see you, how far you can take it? But yes, you are to let God work in your heart, and you need to ask him for that. Um, and see, if that was the case, too, well, I just got to let God do the work. And, I, and I've heard Christians say this. It's the Lord. I just, I just rest in my justification and let God do all the work. Then the Christian life would hardly seem like a war, which is what the Bible calls it. Can you imagine a soldier? Yeah, I, I would, I'm in the middle of the battlefield, and there's all this stuff going on, but I'm just going to wait here and let my general do it all. What would happen to him? He would die. He would be killed. Well, in the same way, if, we, if we're not alert, as a warrior is supposed to be, if we're not diligent in pursuing holiness, uh, what happens is the life, the spiritual life is sapped out of us. Or as Scripture uses as an example, it's a branch detached from the vine. Can you imagine a farmer here? A lot of farms around here. <laughs> um, and he sowed his fields, and then he never looked back. And then harvest day, he just showed up. He just left and came back harvest. What would happen? He would starve. Well, that's what happens to us. We starve spiritually. And because we don't give attention, we're not tilling, we're not weeding, we're not watering our spiritual souls, and so we end up starving. And so we have a role, an active role to play. Now, the Apostle Paul, he explains this role in Romans 8. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, he's not saying die, live, hell, heaven there. 
living the Christian life. If by the Spirit that we do it, has to be by the Spirit, right? It must be by the Spirit, but we still must do it. We must put to death the deeds of the flesh. It's interesting. The Bible says you've died to sin. Now die to sin. You have a position. You have been uh, united to Christ. The Holy Spirit resides in you. Uh, Sin has been put to death in you. Now you need to put it to death. What does that mean? We must go to war with our flesh. We still have temptation, no longer feeding our sinful nature. A good example of this is in the Old Testament. You remember the story of Joseph. He's in the house of Potiphar, and Potiphar's wife likes him. She's attracted to him, and she tries to seduce him. And he doesn't say, well, I'm just going to stay here and hang out, and if the Lord let go, you know, let God do it. I'll let go and let God. What's he do? You know the story. He flees. He takes off. Taking off wasn't him not trusting God. Fleeing was him trusting God. He had to do that work. The temptation presented itself, and he responds by fleeing. And so the example there is we must do the same. We must take sin that seriously. We must flee from it. When we're tempted, Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree, Peter tells us in his first letter. Why? So that we may die to sin and live to righteousness. And so negatively, you could say we die to sin. We, we, we flee from it. Um, we, we suppress it. We don't give it a, a life. We push it down. And positively, we live to righteousness. We need to feed righteousness. And so how do we feed our souls? Well, God hasn't left us alone here either. In fact, I, I, I think I've only been, how long have I been here? About three months, three and a half months. And what I'm about to say, you've maybe heard me say two to three times in different ways. But he has provided us the means by which we can live to righteousness. It's what we call the means of grace. Do you remember them? We've talked about them in past sermons. It's the word, especially the preaching of the word, but Bible reading and study. It's the sacraments, biblically regulated worship, baptism, the Lord's Supper in particular, and prayer. They're the three means of grace that God uses, our confession says, are made effectual to the elect for their salvation. You could read sanctification. Those things God has taken and and has attached his promise to them and said, if you feed your soul with these things, the word of God, prayer, the sacrament, worship, if you do that, you will live to righteousness. You will grow. You will be sanctified. And so if you take seriously your sanctification, if you desire to grow in holiness and be conformed to the image of Jesus, you will be diligent when it comes to these things. You're here now, so you regularly attend worship. It is a means of grace. You can't be passive. Well, good, I walked through that door. Whew, I needed grace today. You know, this isn't, we're not Roman Catholics. It doesn't just happen to you. Where, you know, you, you just walk in and they hand you the wafer and you automatically have grace. 
you have to engage your mind. It's by faith that you're doing it. You're coming here and you're saying, you know what? Today, Lord, I want to grow. I want to be more like Jesus. So I'm going to come to worship where you've promised to meet me so that you can change my heart. And I'm going to engage. I'm going to do what I need to do so I can understand and follow even a long sermon like this. If you take seriously your sanctification, you'll want to grow. You'll regularly attend worship. You'll read the Bible. You'll study the Bible. You will pray, as Paul says, without ceasing. This is why we emphasize those things. It seems ordinary. That's why they're called ordinary means of grace. It seems kind of boring. Can't we do something exciting? Yeah, we can. We can do exciting things, but we're called to regularly and faithfully worship pray, hear the word preached, read the word, partake of the Lord's Supper. That's how God has promised to help us grow. When you come to worship, when you come unto the word, when you partake of the Lord's Supper, God the Holy Spirit is present, and he's pleased, and more importantly, he has promised to give you grace to grow when you do these things by faith. And so if you neglect the means of grace, you do that at your own peril. Um, one preacher said that this is a simple fact that no one who is careless about the means of grace must ever expect to progress in sanctification. And then he went on to say, I cannot find on record any eminent saint who ever neglected them. They are the appointed channels through which the Holy Spirit conveys fresh supplies of grace to your soul and strengthens the work that he has begun in the inner man. And so if you want to progress in your sanctification, you'll avail yourself of the means God has provided. And notice something, that you'll go beyond one hour on a Sunday morning. Now, it may be through Bible studies, or it may mean the last thing I'm going to talk about, which is fellowship. It may be Bible studies. It may be studying the Word and praying on your own, but you can't do all those things alone because God has ordained it as such that we would do them together as well. And that's my last point that I want to bring up. And again, something that I've shared with you, but it's so fitting, is that fellowship with other believers is an important, important aspect of growing in holiness and sanctification. Remember, I said to you that some Christians are further along than others. And so you need others to help you. When I first got saved, I, I've shared this. You know, Christy led me to the Lord. Her family led me to the Lord. I went to church, but I got associated with their family, and they were way further ahead than me. And they were able to help me. I got to emulate their lifestyle, see them praying, see the importance of getting up, seeing her father every morning. Prayed every day, read the scriptures, her mother doing the same, maybe listening to Christian radio, whatever it was, they, they, they took advantage of those times, and I, and I learned them, and then I would ask questions, and they would teach me. They were more mature than me. They are more than mature than me now, and so I learned from them. Um, Bible reading and prayer are important. They are, and you need to do that, and you need to do it more. But these things aren't only to be done in isolation. They need to be done in groups. And so you need to find somebody in your life 
that you look to and you say, that person is more mature than me. And they are, they've been walking with the Lord. Now, sometimes we have the wrong definition of mature. Just having more Bible verses memorized doesn't make you more mature than someone. But that being said, generally speaking, you find someone more mature and you follow them. We need others. And, and they need us. You may not believe it, but there are people less mature than you that you could help bring along. And so that's the beauty of the body of Christ. What does Proverbs say? Iron sharpens iron, so as one man sharpens another. And so that's why we, we stress the importance of life groups. It's not a program that we're doing in order to just get something done so we can check it off a box. It's because it's a matter of life and death, if I were to put it that way. It's life groups. It's a matter of your spiritual life. You need other Christians. You may not be doing it formally and under the banner of life groups, but you need other believers. And you need to have them in your life. You need to be sharing with them and praying with them and confessing to them and um, sharing your life together. And so other, gather around yourself other mature believers you know, when I got saved, one of the things Christy's family helped me with, but one of the things we did is we were in part of a small group. I think this was years later in our, in our relationship, and it was young people, it was grandparents, it was, uh, you know, parents um, to us, people our age, people just married. My point, obviously, was a, it was a, a lot of different types of people in one group. And what was the blessing of that? The blessing was you see people from all walks of life walking with the Lord. It's wonderful that the youth have a youth group. I'm so glad they do. And they get to learn by mature leaders like Nathan and Taylor and, and others that are there. But, but they also need adults in their life. They also need people younger than them maybe helping in the nursery. They need to be working together. It's the body of Christ. That's how it works. And so we need to bring people together from all walks of life and grow in sanctification. Now, let me just close with this. Don't be discouraged. It is a process. You know, you, at times it's a difficult process. You know, you start out, you know, I'm going to read the Bible daily and I'm, I'm going to start praying. And then 30 seconds in, you're like, well, I'm just going to do this tomorrow. <laughs> and, 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 and you struggle or you know, I, I just can't, I, Lord, take this sin away from me. And when I, like I told you, when I got saved, uh, there were sins that were just gone from my life. I never committed them again. And there are sins that if I'm not watching now, I'll still commit today. It's just who we are. Sometimes the process isn't as fast as we like. Be careful also judging others because their process isn't going as fast as you may like. But you battle you battle, you defeat one sin, another one pops up, you battle again, you trust in the Lord, you yield to the Spirit, you remain diligent. Do you see the war that we're in? You remain diligent. You put to death the deeds of the flesh, and then you practice the means of grace. Paul says in chapter 1, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. And so many of you, I've noticed it in the months that I've been here, many of you are doing the things I just mentioned. None of this was new to you. You didn't say, wow, we're supposed to read the Bible. 
so glad he came from Florida to tell us that because we would have never known. Well, this is what Paul would say. Read the Bible and do so more and more. Pray and do so more and more. Fellowship and do so more and more. He didn't come up with new things. He had the same old means. Walk to please God. You're doing it now. Do it more and more. That's the key. You know what to do. In fact, you're doing it. So now do it more and more until the day when you will be glorified, another promise of our salvation. And that's when your sanctification, sanctification that is, will be complete. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this reminder, things that we know and yet need to be reminded of. We thank you that we're not left alone to sanctify ourselves, and we thank you, Lord, that our salvation, our justification is secure, and that you're working with us, forgiving us as we progress, and we look forward to that day when Christ will return and our sanctification will be complete. 